This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. You can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has to. No. Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And some say he is weirder about handshakes than Mark Hughes. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Was Mark Hughes weird about handshakes? Go on YouTube and type in Mark Hughes weird at handshakes. What? Don't I think, think I will. <laughs> why, why, why was he weird? What? Because uh, when he lost the game in, in his management career, he would be so angry he wouldn't shake hands. And there's lots of, someone is super cut. All the times he's been weird about handshakes. Oh, There's a great one where, you know, Matt, like, Hughes got sacked and Mancini came in. He, yeah. he has to shake Mancini's hand having lost. And it's the strangest. He like, Hughes grabs the end of Mancini's fingers and then like throws them up really kind of aggressively. <laughs> it's just a super cut of uh, Mark Hughes being weird about handshakes. Really good. Great at volleys though, isn't he? <laughs> Never forget. Never forget that he was great at volleys. <laughs> Do you want some correspondence? Yes, please. You've got mail. Okay, now you might remember that we were discussing um, people that could see into football grounds, specifically Exeter City. Well, we've got an email from Tom Goulston called Freeloader Fan Overlooking Exeter City 2011-2012. Oh, um, just in the middle of listening to the third preseason episode, and off the back of hearing Chris suggest that he really misses from 90s football, his houses overlooking ground, I felt compelled to write him. For the 2011-12 season, me and five housemates rented 110 St. James's Road in Exeter for our final year at uni. Now, from the outside, it was a bog-standard uni house with six people cramped into what should be the space for three. However, despite this, it had a feature that you simply couldn't put a price on, 
A velux leading to the roof on which you could see everything bar the away end goal mouth at St James's Park. While we had to deal with regular chants about us being freeloaders from local season ticket holders at the opposite end, absolutely made the first term of our final year, enjoying some real football and placing drinking based bets on whether the ball went in in the away end. <laughs> the reason it was just the first term is that Michael is exactly right. After five to seven low scoring games and increasingly cold, the perk of this cramped student abode started to diminish and actually watching the Champions League on a Tuesday night in the warm appealed vastly more than watching Exeter Battle Relegation against <laughs> Gunthorpe. What do you think about that? I mean, I'm surprised they've watched that many matches, to be honest. <laughs> if you were an Exeter fan, so if you had a house that overlooks most of the pitch of West Ham, would you be willing to pay for a ticket to go in and... No. No. Wouldn't you? No. Absolutely not. You're going to have a better time, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. You comfort your own home effectively. What would you What would you do differently in a house? That you, You'd well, drink. nice food, yeah, good as well. Food, drink finger no, buffet, yeah, no yeah. queue for the toilets. You could sell season tickets to your flat to West Ham fans. <laughs> 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 It'd be awful though with all the people trooping past. I I always think that was ground. I used to live quite near the Arsenal ground. Yeah. And match days were just awful. Yeah, if you're not an Arsenal fan. Like, I wouldn't want to live in the vicinity of a football club that I didn't support. I'd find that insufferable. To live within the vicinity of a football ground, but not be able to see the pitch is the worst. Do you remember, like, obviously in the 90s, stands were getting knocked down and built up all the time. Do you remember watching games in the 90s and you'd see builders sat on, like, the... The the, me- the metal bits oh, of the stand, yeah. like as the frame was coming together, there would always be a couple of builders just sat I, yeah, I on a girder. Wondered, I always wondered about that. Like they're not working at the weekend. No, like, they're so, not. So they've gone in in their sort of high vis in their hard hat, as if oh yeah, I just got to do some work. Free <laughs> ticket to the match. Um, I thought they may have been there to get the ball. Good, like <laughs> I loved it when you'd have like it would usually be like a youth team player would be put in the deserted stand to get yeah. the ball. Yeah. yeah. It's weird, isn't it, to think there used to be a, a need to get the ball because it was the only ball. Yeah. Well, those, those <laughs> might have deltas weren't cheap. <laughs> More correspondence? Yes, please. It's from Somic Howder. Hi, chaps. Following on from the illuminating Pempix of the Man United squad, you might be interested to learn that Hunter Davis's The Glory Game checks the changing interests and social attitudes Spurs squads from the 70s, 80s, and, of course, 90s. Some highlights of the latter include Andy Sinton's last holiday being in Algeria. Wow. Clive Wilson being into computers. This is my favourite. Ian Walker's politics being monster raving loony party or any party which offers low income tax. <laughs> it's really two ends of the spectrum there from Walker. <laughs> so do you think he's uh, going and he can't decide between monster yeah. raving loony or Tory? Or? <laughs> I want complete nihilism or more money in my pocket. <laughs> um... Whilst Ronnie Rosenthal is, do you want to have a guess at his politics? Uh, quite conservative. Not eligible, but Tory. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love any of these little facts about players. It's quite interesting, footballers and politics. I think we'd, I'd like to know more about the politics of our old 90s. Football. I would love to know the vote, anyone who's got any knowledge of voting of former footballers. Yeah. Um, um, and we know Neville Southall votes Labour. But I mean, like, what what you want is the smaller footballers and why you would know who they voted for. Yeah. Is there any Lib Dems? <laughs> no way. I remember uh, a few years ago I heard a story. I, I'm not, I don't know if it's true or not. But there was, uh, I think it was like Rufus Brevet lived near like Coventry. And Coventry University, the students did a protest 
they're protesting tuition fees or something. And on the Coventry University page, the students had kind of taken it over and said, look, we're protesting today. And Rufus Brevet had replied in the comments, you lazy students want to go get a job. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that says about his politics. And I don't know if that's true, but I hope it is. So we've got a, uh, do I remember this right, from um, Thomas Burns. Do I remember this right? 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 Right, 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 right. The recent reminiscing on a show around Ubet reminded me of an episode I saw where a boy was able to identify Premier League players purely via the medium of photographs of their knees. <laughs> what? <laughs> Memory serves the young fellow was successful in his endeavour. However, Google isn't coming good for me, so I'd love... Any of your other listeners to confirm whether this happened? That's such a weird skill to develop. You can't. A knee's not defined enough to know. I don't. That's hard to believe. I'd, can we do our own version of you bet? <laughs> we remount it. Okay. Yeah. Next series. Let's all pick a challenge. It can't be true. It must have been a certain selection of footballers. Yeah. And it true. must have been a certain selection of photos. Yeah. It can't have been random photo. It can't have been. Yeah. Or, even worse, it can't have been like the footballers alive in the studio, but like Naked Attraction. <laughs> With just their knees out. I mean, how many distinctive knees have you got from the Premier League era? David Boost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. But any, any, uh, anyone who's got any memory of that, or whether yeah. there's a reason, if, if, if that is a mis-memory or something. Yeah. Um, the other thing would be, um, are, were there any other football U-bets that we haven't mentioned? Because... Uh, Surely it was quite prominent in, in the UBET world. If you have any correspondence, get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, well, we're here today to talk about footballers from the 90s we can't believe we haven't mentioned yet. And there will be, uh, once again, a public vote to decide who is the best of the footballers we haven't mentioned yet. Josh, would you like to go first? Yeah, well, uh, honourable mention. I won't go for this person, but uh, Plymouth Link, but possibly the player from Plymouth that made it the biggest in the 90s was a guy called Mickey Evans. Yeah. Who was Plymouth strike, target man. And he was good for us. He wasn't great. He was good. And then he got signed by Graham Souness at Southampton for 500 grand, which in those days was a lot of That's money. A lot. What division were you in at the time? Uh, what would now be League One, I think. Right. And um, he got signed by Graham Souness, scored the goals that kept Southampton up. But you know when a player gets off to a good start in the Premier League, but then they're found wanting the moment actually they put a string of games together. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember this player? I sort of vaguely remember. I have a picture of his face in my mind, but I don't know whether. Did he have a moustache? No, but okay. he should have. because That would be the kind of player he was, like a big target. <laughs> no, was, I, I was picturing a sort of portly, like uh, slightly out of shape bruiser. Um, yeah, he was a bruiser. Did, who, did he have longish curly hair? No. no. <laughs> I don't think either of you do remember him. We've weirdly evolved into a game of 90s of like, guess who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for my main player, I'd like to choose... Haristo Stoichkov, who we've hardly discussed. Yeah. yeah. 
who was one of the great players of the 90s, but I watched one of those, you know those Sky things where they do half an hour on like a classic player? Mm. I didn't know Haristo Stoichkov. So Haristo Stoichkov had a, a lot of people just picture him as the guy that played in the 1994 World Cup. But he had a lot more interesting career than that because he started, I think he was at CSKA Sofia for six or seven years in the 80s. One of those years, he was he was involved in a basically a brawl in the cup final, the Bulgarian cup final, a full brawl, and he got banned from football for life. He almost didn't get to be a footballer. And then they got rescinded to a year ban, which is still a mad thing. A year's ban from football. Eastern yeah. Europe in those days, just yeah. lawless, wasn't it? <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. So he he joined then Barcelona and he was in a the Johan Cruyff dream team that won four league championships in a row. Banned for two months for stamping on a referee's foot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was a, quite a wide boy. I didn't think he yeah, was. Yeah, he was no. total aggro. Really? Real aggro. Notoriously, like he was a nightmare I for managers. It was only the fact that he was so good and he was sort of so driven that they, they put up with that. According to Wikipedia, one of his jobs at Barcelona was to make sure Romario got into training on time because he liked to party Romario. <laughs> So Stoichkov was kind of the guy that was manned with stopping Romario to be a party boy. But he then played in the 1994 World Cup, but he kind of got overshadowed because Jordan Lechkov was bald, basically. That was basically <laughs> what happened. Ladruk que para entrada. Stoichkov! Gol, 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 gol! Impresionante! Impresionante! Splendid! Albay de Stoichkov! He also, he won, he won the Ballon d'Or, but I also, I was reading on his Wikipedia, he won the Golden Shoe, which I didn't realise was a thing. What's, What's the, the Golden Shoe? <laughs> the Golden Shoe is for the top scorer across all the European leagues. Oh, right. Yeah. So when he was in Bulgaria, he won the Golden Shoe because he scored more goals than anyone in any other European league. How do you, do you think there's a sort of sliding scale of... If you score 100 goals in the Bulgarian league, is that equal to... Oh, I thought you were going to say footwear. <laughs> Depending on the quality of... The golden clog. <laughs> whether like... Yeah, the... what, whether it's like means adjusted. Yeah, kind there's of. a sort of point system. Well, did... Have I got a vague memory? Did Ali McCoy consistently win the golden shoe? Because he was scoring so many goals at Rangers. Yeah, like, you, you would think they weren't worth as... Not to diminish the Scottish League, obviously, please don't. But Bulgarian League. Or the Bulgarian League. But, yeah. <laughs> or Bulgarian... its equivalent, the Bulgarian League. <laughs> <laughs> but you would think that... I those... say arguably now the Bulgarian League is stronger than the Scottish <laughs> League. But you'd think that those goals weren't worth as much. If you're scoring 60 goals in the Bulgarian League and you're scoring 30 in Serie A in the 90s, surely that's... A harder task. Tell it to the yeah. men of the golden shoe, mate. Maybe <laughs> it was. I don't know how the how the maths was done. Yeah. If it's anyone like, knows. The new Bond film, The Man with the Golden Shoe. <laughs> just Stoichkov having a go at people in the dressing room. <laughs> he could be a Soviet baddie, I feel like yeah. Stoichkov. He was great. Um yeah. he also I, I didn't know he went to Parma for a year in like the classic Parma oh, really? situation. And then he just didn't really work, so he went back to Barcelona. Oh. But he played, he was he was really good, because he was a striker, but he was a lot more kind of cultured than that. Someone emailed us in, um, I just can't find the name off the top of my head, but um, about Championship Manager. 
And one of the points they made was how pointless it was when you got someone who was forward right or forward uh, left yeah. who didn't play in the centre at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. never used them. That's <laughs> such a great <laughs> shout. Uh, Tamura Kets bio was one of those. For, yeah. Forward, right, left. It's just like, oh, God. What oh, is the point of that? <laughs> That's not a real player. No. No. no player is going, I can only play by the corner flag. <laughs> You put me anywhere else, I'm useless. <laughs> it's not happening. But I think Stoichkov might have been forward left. But anyway, um, so my nomination would be the much under-discussed, considering he wasn't just good, but he was like a character, Haristo Stoichkov. Lovely. Okay, so I've got my player, but I just want to do three really super quick honourable mentions. Firstly... Mark Overmars was the quickest player I ever saw with my own eyes. I remember like oh, West really? Ham played Arsenal in 98 and he was so fast. I was like, this guy is superhuman. Do you know why he looked fast as well? Because he was one of those players that was fast but with little legs. So his <laughs> legs were really fast. That's true. Um, retired at 31. But back in the 90s, if you were super quick, then you're, you never had a long career. Like no. I feel like, I'm more like... I can, he's the only example I can think of right now. But well, I feel Michael like Owen speed. was someone. Yeah, Michael Owen. Owen. Yeah, yeah. Speed. Yeah. Being fast was is not all it's cracked up to be. The amount of times people would talk about a player who had to reinvent themselves, they were just never as good. <laughs> I remember when Lee Sharp kind of had to reinvent himself a bit. He was one of those players that was fast, and yeah. then he get injuries and lost his pace. Yeah. But I think as well, if you're a fast player, you're you're typically relying on only that. And once you take that out of your game for injury, you've got nothing left. Yeah. So I imagine like that's what happened with Sharp. And, at the and level that. of Plymouth played at as well, it still happens. If there's a player that's really fast, they will not have a final ball. They've got <laughs> abs- there's no chance. Yeah. They wouldn't be playing at that level. They wouldn't be playing at that level if they had the final ball. Another quick couple of honourable mentions. I never really under we don't really talk about Andy Sinton. And I never really I don't really know what he is. No. Like he's got he twelve was one of caps the- for England. I don't he was one really of those know. wingers that was just quite kind of. I bet, I bet he kept his position well. I also feel like he was one of like he was one of the last generations of left midfielders who wouldn't get forward. Like you could play him on the wing, and he he's not getting anywhere near the box. Yeah, and I didn't really know who he played for apart from England. Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, Sheffield, like QPR, like yeah. just like archetypal journeyman, and there's still yeah. a man of mystery. But my my pick for the player I can't believe we haven't talked more about Georgie Kinkladze. Yeah. Georgie Kinkladze was an amazing player in a shit team in a time when that didn't really happen. Yeah. And the goals he would score bend the mind. Like, yeah. he scored goals where he literally takes it around every single player on the team and not with pace. Like, he's just dropping his shoulder because he's a bit of a chunky lad. Kinkladze will try and beat his man and suddenly space opens up. Still Kinkladze inside the penalty area. Think, like, I think City at that time were kind of they're batting relegation and having experienced what that's like as a West Ham fan. To have a player who is that graceful and skillful when you've had 20 years of just brutes yeah. smashing him out. Who did just you have at West Ham that was like that? I mean, De Canio is the obvious answer. Oh, yeah, of course. That was, yeah. that was the first time. The other thing about Kling Cladsey is that he was a skillful, exotic player. Yeah. Like, he was one of the first exotic... He's from Georgia. Even now, I couldn't really point that out no. on the map with... Do you think, didn't they sign another Georgian to kind of keep him company called 
Cavalash Ville or something like that. that that's really? ringing a bell. Yeah, I, I think I mainly remember him because he was on Championship Manager, like the three Spaniards at Wigan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, did we ever discuss this before? You know when Gaza went to Lazio, do you know who else they signed to keep him company? No. Glenn Roder. <laughs> What? I think that's true. Is that true? I think it no, might be true. Because no, no, I mean, that, that explains why they're such good friends. That's the kind of thing we absolutely have to check. Surely that's not true. Well, I know they're very no, good friends. No, it's not true. <laughs> I'm sure he went out there with Gaza. No, it's not true. <laughs> but could someone tell me yeah. why that well, does they, feel true? The, the policy in the mid-early 90s, if you signed a foreign player, the policy wasn't like let's try and help him adjust to the light it was we'll buy another player from that country yeah and then they'll be mates yeah, oh look right so this is a picture of Paul Gascoigne's first visit to Rome and he's walking through a piazza with Glenn Roda and they're both in Lazio shell suits wow, wow. So it's not a completely phantom memory. So what wow. is that? I'd love to know more about that. Are they well, are they the same age? No. That. So they played at Newcastle together. Glenn Roder was kind of. Do you his want to have mind. a look at that? So it's based on something. Yeah. Right? I'd love to know what the. At the very least, Glenn Roder's got a free tracksuit out of coming along with his mate. <laughs> so for my player, I have gone for a man who I think is a name that straddles the eighties and the nineties, and that is uh, Liverpool and Denmark playmaker. Jan Mulby. Oh, yes. Very central, and it might appeal to Mulby. Second substitution by Liverpool. Hartness off, Kosmar on. Istvan Kosmar, the Hungarian, number 14, joins the play. Wonder if he fancies taking this free kick. It's Mulby! Oh, a belter! An absolute belter from Jan Mulby. It's 2 2. What a match. Now, I don't know about you guys, but. When I started following football in the sort of early 90s and then into mid-90s, Mulby was sort of a figure of fun by that yeah. stage. He was a kind of byword for like a lack of mobility, slightly lazy central midfielder who never left the centre yeah. circle. So my image of him for years was just the sort of, oh God, you're like, yeah, Mulby, like, you know, move around the pitch, move around the pitch. It was a negative thing. And I, when I went to university, I ended up uh, making friends with a Danish guy who was also a Liverpool fan. And we got talking about football one evening. And he was so disgusted and outraged that that was the English view of Jan Mulby, yeah. who to him was basically like a like a god. He was brilliant. He he was. I, I wasn't aware of this. He, he this guy, this Danish guy, had like a VHS compilation of like Jan Mulby's best bits from his time at Ajax, from his time at Liverpool. His range yeah. of passing was his passing was insane. Absolutely, he was one of those players that always had space. Yeah. <laughs> Despite being quite a big unit, <laughs> he also had the um, the much overlooked thing that he'd been at Liverpool. He got a Scouse accent. Yes, that was one of my favourite things. So he was the first foreign player to be an English club for ten years. He was the first player right. to make that happen. Uh, he's a penalty specialist. This is all from his Wikipedia. He scored a hat trick of penalties in a game once. Did he? Which is incredible. Did he play in that amazing Denmark team? Uh, I think he was in the squad, but other players kept him out of the. The starting lineup, yeah, but that thing when a player has been at a club, a regional club especially, for so long that they pick up yeah. that, that sort of scouse Danish dialect. Like <laughs> Peter Schmeichel's got it a little bit, Solskjaer's got yeah. it a little bit, where they'll sort of skew into like Mancunian. I love that. Solskjaer would love it to have a Mancunian accent. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't got a Scottish accent like Alex Ferguson. <laughs> um, I feel like Scandinavians are more affected by this accent thing 
yeah. than other player like yeah. Michael Solskjaer like Mulby that you say yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird, like they just consume it a bit more maybe well it's Steve McLaren went the other way didn't he but he did it within <laughs> six months <laughs> I think yeah Mulby's a great player he um, was um he became player manager of Swansea. Yes. So he was player manager of Swansea on Championship Manager 97, 98. And he was so much better than everyone else in the division, but you couldn't buy him because he was the manager. Oh, that's The great. other one was Mark Haightley, who was player manager of Hull in that game and used to score loads of goals. Yeah. Obviously he had stats from a much higher division. Yeah. Do, do you ever do that thing? Like, uh, like I think the way the brain works is like it files certain people next to each other. So yeah. I always get like Robert De Niro and Al Pacino mixed yeah. up. When I try and imagine Jan Mulby in a Liverpool kit, I just see Sandy Toxvig. <laughs> Danish. And Danish. 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 I can't Great really separate those two people. And I see Jan Mulby presenting QI. <laughs> so, those are your three options. Stoichkov, Mulby, King Cladsey. Three great choices. Also, submit your uh, suggestions and that will be the fourth person in the vote. And then you can vote on Twitter to see who is our winner of Much Undiscussed Player. Okay, it's time for the quiz. Yeah, each week uh, we do a 90s football-based quiz. Josh and Chris play against each other for the right to pick the song that plays out at the end of the show. This week, it's the final version of an old favourite, Starting eleven. So I pick a game from the 90s. Chris and Josh take it in turns to pick a player that played in that game. If they played, they continue. If they didn't play, they are eliminated. If they came on as a sub, they have to pick again. So the game in question is from the 4th of March, 1995. And it's Manchester United's 9-0 romp of Ipswich Town. Who would like to go first? I'll start. Josh, up to you. Paul Ince. Correct. John Walk. Correct. Craig Forrest. Correct. Have you got the guts to stay on Ipswich? Jim Magilson. No. Incorrect. Oh. So Josh wins. What song would you like to play out at the end of the show? Uh, in support of Huristo uh, Storichkov, I think we'll have the Bulgarian national anthem, please. <laughs> Okay, that's it for today. We'll see you in a couple of days for our correspondence special. Until then, Robbie Slater, see you later. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 